Hey, I'm Michael Durinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 135 of the North Meets Southwest podcast. Well, I think it's something different. Uh, no, it might be 135 though. I don't know. It is 135. Hold on. Is it? It's 135. Welcome everybody to episode 135. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a been a day. And so we're going to keep this one to a tight 30 minutes. So buckle up, folks. We are jumping in. Okay. Michael has been working on upgrading all of his application codes to run on Laravel 9. Very cool. Very, very cool. And uh, you said you've been using Laristan. Also very cool. And uh, you're making your tests faster, which is triple cool. So yeah. triple cool for you. Very nice. Um, so I wanted to hear a little bit about that. How's it going? Well, as as uh, long-time listeners of our show will, will know, I don't really get to play with up-to-date versions of Laravel or PHP or any of the good stuff until until now, where it's like a concerted effort that we're making to make sure we're up-to-date and it's part of our certification for ISO that, you know, we're on up-to-date and maintain versions of stuff. And so end of last year, I started that process. So we did we did PHP 8 first because that was the, like, quote, easiest thing. Migrating from 7.4 to, to PHP 8, we could still continue using Laravel 6 at the time. Um, got that all done. Laravel 6 to Laravel 7 wasn't too bad. Got that done at the beginning of January. Laravel 7 to Laravel 8 was like a huge, huge pain because yeah. Yeah, it was tough. It, we, I mean, the, the biggest thing was like the change from, um, you know, the old factory, model factory format to the class-based factories. Yes, yes. And so, you know, everything moved from those flat files into classes and then the, the rebasing back on master as we were going and then trying to bring in like the changes that we were still making to what was in master, you know, in, or into our main branch all of the changes to those factories and then using those factories and then, you know, rebasing that and then having to go and find those usages and update those usages and make sure that like we were bringing across any new factory states and things like that was lots and lots of fun, of course. And then, you know, got that done. We shipped Laravel 8 to production on, well, actually winding that back. The other big issue that we had was the tendency for Laravel package. We were kind of maintaining a fork mm, of okay. version two i want to say version two so that we could run version two on on php 8 because migrating to version three which had native laravel 8 laravel 9 support meant that we had to refactor our application and how we were using tenants and how we were switching tenants and all of that kind of stuff but laravel 9's sort of underlying the the framework itself started to drift far enough away from like that version one stuff where it just wasn't compatible and it was it was going to be as much work to kind of get everything up to date so that it would, you know, we could run version one of Tenancy for Laravel or version two of Tenancy for Laravel on Laravel 9 or Laravel 8. So we bit the bullet, did that. That took a long time, lots of like miscellaneous issues, but got that into production on this Monday just gone at the time of the recording and Smooth, absolutely smooth. Like, no, we had one small issue with like a queue job that we'd put in for switching the tenancies, flooding, okay, sure, <laughs> flooding the queue, and and so ooh, fun. It like it didn't impact the application itself. It's just that the queue got and you know it was just spitting out errors. So we just remove those jobs, and then everything was fine. So I have been since then going through the Laravel nine upgrade. So it took me on and off the better part of two months. 
to get from Laravel 7 to Laravel 8. But I got our full application running from Laravel 8 to Laravel 9, getting all of the tests to pass in about six hours. So um, that was, you know, much not like we had anticipated that this would be the case that the because there wasn't like any big architectural shifts that, that right. it was going to be yep, much quicker. Sure. Uh, it was. And, and then the next thing that we hit, you touched on um, Laristan, is that because Laravel at the framework level had introduced a whole bunch of types and generics and things like that, like a whole bunch of stuff just broke. And we'd we'd kind of always been struggling a little bit with using Psalm. So we'd been using Psalm since September of last year. And a lot of it was just like set the baseline, This you know, the old stuff don't worry about, but everything new should adhere to, you know, the static analysis should pass before we merge that code in. And I'm not really sure what the the actual issue was, whether it's just that, you know, the, 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 the Laravel plugin for Psalm hadn't been updated or it wasn't being maintained as actively as, as what Laristan was. But, we you know, we just ran into a whole bunch of issues as part of the upgrade. And so the solution to fixing all those static analysis issues with Psalm was to remove Psalm and then bring in Laristan. Laristan is like a Laravel wrapper, like a Laravel-specific flavor of PHP stand that's maintained by Nuna Maduro. Yeah, it's a lot more friendly. A lot more friendly for Laravel yeah, apps. It, yeah, it certainly understands Laravel and Laravel context a lot better. And it and like out of the box, it it does some really nice things that that I hadn't even considered. But for example, on your relationship where has methods, if your relationship method does not declare a return type of like belongs to or has one or whatever, it will then tell you that that relationship doesn't exist. Now, you. T- we have tests in place that say, you know, all of our code works, but it's nice to have that level of feedback in line in the editor, but also as part of our CI process to say, hey, you know, you might have missed something. You know, you might not have defined the return type. You may not have even defined the method itself. And so protecting ourselves from those kinds of like edge casey issues before pushing that out into, into production is really nice. And it handles some future deprecations in PHP, like the the dynamic properties that that don't like they'll raise warnings when we get to PHP 8.2. So I went through and fixed all of the issues that we had and then, you know, put out the mandate to the team that's like, hey, from now, static analysis will blow up in CI. If you do this, here is like the reason that we're enforcing it now. So we're not building any new sure. code that's going to break when we get to PHP 8.2 in the next, you know, not too distant future. The next, the next thing on my yeah, roadmap is... Yep. Um, you know, finish the Laravel 9 upgrade and then do PHP 8.1. And that'll happen in the next three or four weeks. So nice, nice. The more, the more that we kind of get out the road now, you know, the less that we have to revisit later. I mean, it has to be done at some point. So while we're in here doing this now, then and get it out the sure, way. Sure, it does. Absolutely. Might as, well, might as well do it now when you can enjoy it, yeah. right? It's kind of like people when they fix up their house right before they sell it. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get their house ready before they sell the house. And it's like, or... You could just get the house nice now and get, actually get to enjoy it for right. a little bit before you sell yeah. the house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you might as well, might as well get it to where you want it so you can start writing some code in the latest yeah. rather than wait until it's an emergency and then upgrade it. You know, so we just got up to eight point two on. We're working on rolling it out to all of our apps. I've got it probably done for about half of them, and so we're on Laravel nine, PHP eight point two, and then the next thing is shifting to, to Laravel ten. Yeah, and then. Then I've got a whole bunch of other stuff. It's 
I don't mind having a lot of repositories. It's nice in some senses, but it's also really annoying mm-hmm. in other senses because it's like every time you have to do something, you have to do it like literally Multiple 25 times, yeah. times, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's nice when you're wanting to just work in isolation. It's like, oh, I'm just going to change this one thing and it's definitely not going to affect anything else because it's just this one piece of code in this one right. app, right? Which is nice. But yeah, it can be it can be frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what uh, that's what that is. Yeah. So it's um it's nice being on like because we do Laravel news. I know about all the new stuff that that's landing in exactly, the framework and all exactly. of all of the useful things, all of the testing features, all of the bits and pieces, and and going through at the moment. We had this everything in our in our main app or our really our only app, but our main app is JSON API, and we kind of tied ourselves to the JSON API package that we're using, but also to the notion of like everything is a resource. So even internally within the code base, we don't reference models directly. We have this resources facade slash static object that does a whole bunch of translation where you can give it like a resource name, like users or applications or, or whatever. And then it will go and do the mapping from a config file, you know, users, you know, maps to the user class. And, I identified as part of the Laravel 7 upgrade that that is actually the way that we that we had been doing it was incredibly inefficient because there was no memoization of, of that configuration object. So every time you hit that method, it would load that config object back into memory and it was slowing the app down, it was slowing test down, it was just causing a whole bunch of issues. So at the moment, I'm just stamping that out. Anywhere where we can use the models directly, we're using them directly. There are still a few places where we kind of dynamically do some stuff with the the relationship. So we might have to keep it around, but we're going to try and make those things few and far between. So the the main thing is like getting us up to date ahead of our certification processes later this year. And then it's going to start looking at, you know, the, the kind of legacy code that we've got where we're doing things that are not, not well architected or that like really far departures from, framework convention because ultimately what we want is to be as conventional as possible so we know where things are so we know how things behave and so that they're consistent across the framework which then obviously makes it easier to to keep up to date to to build this application and and to like be current one thing actually i thought of it just before i i want to i want to issue a correction last last episode we talked about was it was it on not no it must have been on laravel news i'm going to issue a re- correction here and i'll issue okay. it there we were talking about routes and how many routes are in your application. And I said we had... Oh, yeah, you said there was like 15,000 right. or something. So yeah. my correction, and and I thought this was a bit strange when I was doing it. I'm like, how did we go from 15,600 and whatever routes it was to 1,200 routes? What what have I missed as part of this upgrade? Ah. The old route list for a route would sometimes wrap. So I could have three or four lines for each route. Oh, sure, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that makes so sense. So when, when I went, you know, we got to Laravel 9, we got this beautiful new output, you know, console yes. outputs that, that Nuno had worked on and everything was on the single line now. I'm like, oh, that I'm I'm off there by a big, go. big margin there. Um, So we're, we're 1,284, I think. That did seem like, that did seem like quite yeah. a few, 15,000. I was like, hmm, that's a beast. Yeah. That is yeah. a beast of an app. So, okay, well, that seems more reasonable. 1,284. Yeah, sure. So much more reasonable. I mean, it's still too many, but it's... um. It's much better. So yeah, we're we're getting there. I just before we jumped on this call got the app to like Laristan level zero, like clean up all those errors. So I don't know how far I'll go in terms of effort as part of the Laravel nine upgrade. You know, I'll see 
I'll go I'll go to level one next, level two. And like when it gets too hairy and there's too many issues to solve, I might just cut it off there and we'll just, you know, make that a BAU thing for the future. But um yeah, it's definitely nice going through and just tidying things up, getting closer to the metal. You know, the the framework is obviously optimized by the the mere fact that it's used by millions, I guess, of developers around the world. And so, you know, it has to account for that use case where the framework itself needs to be as efficient as possible. And the framework itself is not going to slow you down much really in terms of the framework doesn't take long to boot. It doesn't take long to do stuff. It's always, I say always, it's going to be 99.9% of the time user land code that's going to introduce performance issues and things like that. So, you know, the the more Mm -hmm. stuff, the more custom stuff that we can rip out of the application and replace with just Laravel, you know, the, a cert database missing, a cert database has in test, you can just pass it like a class string, user colon colon class. Sure. And it will figure out what the table yeah. is and you just pass it an array of things. You, yeah. And doing that rather than using our like resource lookup things that are like, um, this is cert true resources colon colon resource or get model, you know, users, uh, you know, whatever else that we're doing to then run a query in, in user land. Get that back to Laravel. You know, we, we, we're trying to kind of, just standardize as much as possible so that we can move a lot quicker. Um, and, we, and we're certainly certainly getting there. It's just, it's a bit of a process. And, you know, getting the team to come along for the ride as well. They've been doing things a certain way for, yeah. you know, three, four, five years. And now it's like drop anchor, change direction. We're going to do things this way moving forward. So, it, and it's a matter of like communicating that as well. How are we going to do it? Why we're doing it? Yeah, I, I think sure. the why is easy. It's it's the the monumental shift from, you know, this is the way we've always done it. You've got to slow down a little bit because not everyone is on the same page in terms of knowing how to do something or when to do something or, or whatever. And so we've got to get everyone up on the same page and then and then go from there. So it, it, it's been good so far. And then the third thing was like testing. So when I spent three months this time last year just adding tests to our application because we had none. And so all that, effort spent back then has then made it easier and especially because we've kept up you know everything new has been shipping with tests we've been testing our application as we've been going which gives us more confidence to like okay all the tests pass so we know that functionally the app you know everything that we test is correct we've got still a manual testing process that we like to run through just as a sanity check because there are some things that like don't rear their ugly heads until you're actually using the application and so we ironed out one or two small things. We actually found some bugs that existed in the application before the upgrades that, you know, they got cleaned up as part of that process. But Laravel 6, to run the full test suite when it worked, was like five and a half gig of RAM and, you know, it took 75 minutes or something to run. And so in CI, that's that's impossible because that 75 minutes becomes like three hours. And if you're trying to hotfix something, it's impossible. You can't wait for your pull request test to pass and then to merge that to master and then, you know, those to pass again to then trigger the deployment. So we had done some like workarounds in terms of splitting up the tests using like the GitHub CI allows or GitHub Actions allows you to use matrix definitions to say, okay, run test unit as one process, run test feature slash whatever is one. And so we had five different groups of tests that would run in separate processes. And that got us down to like, 45 minutes on Laravel 6. Holy crap. Uh, which is still too slow. Like, it's unreasonably slow. 
And then Laravel 7, Laravel 8, we're kind of hovering around the 28-minute mark. So we've got it down. On my machine, like I can run the full test suite, start to finish in one go, uses about three and a half gig of RAM now, which is still a lot, but it, you know, it's better than what it was. And the whole, whole process takes 36 minutes. So we, we couldn't do it before. And, and I know that there's a, a memory leak somewhere in there that I haven't, like I've traced it somewhere into the JSON API package, which has probably been fixed in the more recent version. And we don't really want to migrate to that version because it's it was completely rewritten. All of its testing infrastructure has changed. So it's not really a, you know, upgrade and change a couple of things here and there. It's like, it's our, our app hinges on this thing. And so it's it's a big problem and a big challenge for us to do that because we can't then rely on our test to tell us if we've broken anything because the testing infrastructure has changed. So we have to change our tests when we change our code. And and so that's like, and, and we're looking to move to, to inertia, to the lived, the Laravel inertia view tailwind stack on our next iteration of the platform. And so it, it's not really worth investing the effort now to do that. So the, the thing that I've been doing to try and get our tests sped up is to get parallel testing working. And parallel testing in and of itself, if you have a single database where you're testing like, one thing is quite easy because it just it handles it all for you but we're swapping between two database connections across multiple tenants and it's you know we run into the transaction issues and like overlapping transactions or transactions ending when they shouldn't and then you know we try and close off those transactions or you know roll back those transactions and then they don't exist because they've been closed off somewhere else so just slowly piecing through that i took three runs at it last week to kind of get it to work and I got it to a place where our entire unit tests, which was about 1,200 tests that were taking a minute 15 or so, got that down to 30 seconds. And instead of using, you know, 300 meg of RAM, it was using 60 meg of RAM. So we, we've got some... Nice. Yeah, that's some pretty huge savings. Yeah, we've got massive savings there. Um, the, the feature test, we, which is where we kind of started to run in more of the complicated issues around tenant, because we do tenant switching and things like that. Like if I'm in this tenant and... I'm curious about this. I want to talk about this for a minute. The view yeah, go for it. Yeah, go, go ahead. Do you, do you oh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, so... So the, the feature test, are you are you actually doing like front-end tests on that? No. So Is that what you're no. when you say feature? Or you're just saying, okay, okay. So here's my question on that. You you running Refresh Database in those tests? No. We we have to, we can't use Refresh Database. Okay, that was my question. So like, how are you, are you have your own bit, thing written for that? Yeah, so we basically handle, we've got the, the notion of like a tenanted test case. So if we know that we need to work with a tenant, right? We use this test case, which extends from the base, and it is responsible sure, okay. for either initializing the database or like making sure that the database is there, creating the tenant. Like we have this universal tenant that we use for testing. It's a persistent database because we have so many migrations. It takes 15, 20 seconds to run the migrations. The other thing that we'll get now is the, the so schema. Instead dump. of like refreshing, you just you just do run the migration and then you do transactions. Right. Yeah, actually. we run the migration once which makes sure the database is there and it persists between tests, but then we use transactions for each test case. So, you know, we... And do you have like a seeder that sort of seeds like a base? Yeah. A base? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so we have like the application state that exists and then we transact on top of it. Yeah, we'll get some wins now because we've got, you know, we're on Laravel 9, so we can do the the database dump. So we can get that schema file, which is a lot sure, quicker. that makes sense, yes. Um, so that'll be another thing that I look at as part of the Laravel 9 upgrade to get those optimizations. And then, you know, I really want to make these parallel tests work because if I can get that 30 minutes down to five minutes, that's much more acceptable in the realm of like, we need to fix this bug in production. 
you know, the test needs to run on, on the PR, we need to merge, it needs to run on master, and then it needs to run the deploy, which is about a five-minute process as well. So, you know, if we can get that that time down from about 50 minutes, 60 minutes, to, you know, to get it down Ten, to five, 10, 15, whatever, whatever that's, that's a big win. So, and one, one other question here. So you run, you run your CI tests on the PR, and then once it merges to master, you run them again? Yeah. There have been situations, interesting, oddly enough, where we will run the test on the PR, merge it, and then the test will fail. <laughs> That's weird. I mean, I guess I could see if you have like a non-deterministic test or something like that. That'd be like a weird yeah. sort of like, you know, we have that sometimes where it's like if you're, you know, I think it was for when you ran them, it was like the time zone wasn't fixed or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it fixed meaning meaning it wasn't set to a particular right. time zone. It was just like whatever time zone you happen to be in. And then it was like, if you ran it at a certain time, it would fail. Yeah. But if I ran it, it would work yeah. fine, you know? So like I could see that happening where like, oh, we merged, you know, it, it passed in the PR, no problem. Then we merged a master and it was like, oh, nope, that's not right. Or, you know, something flaked out with the test. I could see that happening. Yeah. But typically for us, we only run it on the PR and then we ship yeah. it. And I think that might be like if we can't fix this this timing issue, which I mean I, I still think we can, but I think you know that there should be no code changes between when you merge the PR and when you ship the PR if it's going like because we're, right, we're doing exactly. CI/CD, so as soon as it gets merged, it gets deployed. But if we can like so, there's probably yeah, using branch protection now too and right, GitHub and yeah, stuff, using yeah. protecting your branches so that nobody can force push to it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you know it's probably worth looking at just just turning off that second second set of testing really. Yeah, we. Yeah, the other thing that I was going to ask, which um, we've got six minutes, so I'm going to go. Uh, so, so one thing we did is in our tests, like in production, I have a situation where I have a I have a database that exists that I use in production that is a separate database. But when I'm locally testing it, I use I just basically drop the table in the local database. Does this make sense? Yep. Do I need to explain that a little better? So like, I you know, in production, I use a database connection that is different than the database connection that I use in local. If I'm, if I'm using local, basically, I collapse everything down to just use the same connection, same database connection, mm-hmm. right? And the table names don't collide because they don't. Or yep. in some instances, actually, I will prefix those tables with a, with a, a name. And then I just use the get table function to know that if I'm in testing or if I'm in local, those are going to be prefixed. And so it just kind of handles that, whatever. But while doing that, what that allows me to do is it allows me to use the refresh database stuff um, so that I don't have to have two separate, because then otherwise you have to have, you have to have your production, let's call it master database, and then your production tenant databases, Mm -hmm. I guess. And then you have to have an equivalent sort of testing database right testing master testing tenant yeah database connections is that correct or do you guys have like dynamic connections that are built out so we have like the central tenancy for laravel has the notion of a central database and then the tenant database itself which is dynamic so you can move between tenants with the, the way that we've got it set up and so the tenant connection is kind of spawned when you initialize the tenancy and it's like copy copy the the central connection and then override the you know, you credentials if you have to over over the, the database name for that tenant. There, there's probably ways around it, and I think something changed between like version two and version three of this package. But the, the only yeah, the only reason I say that is because if you could, then you could use parallel testing. Yeah. If you could do something like that, then you could use parallel testing. Yeah. 
No, the, the only problem with it is it doesn't necessarily exa- it's not as closely tied to the actual production yep. architecture, yeah. which causes problems sometimes, you know, if you're not careful, if there's an unforeseen sort of snafu, yeah. caveat, whatever. Yeah. Something yeah, we, right? we actually had that happen the other day because I didn't I didn't account for something else like take it off. And it passed and tests, then mm-hmm. it went to production as I failed. Yep. So yep. anyway. Yeah, we definitely we do have collisions in table names on a on a couple of tables between those two databases. So we we can make it work. It's just yeah, a so matter of like I've I'm trying to like push through getting it done, but then I have to reel myself back. It's like all right, I'm in a rabbit hole here, and I have to go back and you know get the stuff done that I need to get totally. done before I can finish on this. So yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You're just gonna kind of make notes along the yeah. way, sort of deal. But yeah, we're getting there. It's good progress. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very cool. Very very cool. Yeah. So. Like I said, we're not on we're not on Laravel ten yet. We're on Laravel nine across everything, and so we're doing the chore of getting everything up to eight point two. Because I was like, if we're going to shift, then we might as well just do eight point two right now. And um, or sorry, and when I say shift, I mean shift PHP versions. Mm-hmm. So I'm selling eight point two. You know, I have to I have to go into Envoyer. I have to change everything, all my deployment hooks to use eight point two. Then I have to update the server in Envoyer to use eight point two. Then I have to go to Forge. I have to update eight point two. Then I have to tell my my uh, queue workers to use 8.2. Yeah. Then I have to go to the scheduler and tell that to do 8.2. And then any daemons, I have to redo those to 8.2. And then I have to ship it. And then I have to go to the meta and forge and do 8.2. It's crazy. So many freaking 8.2 you know, places I got to put that in. So yeah. it's a little bit of a mess, but it works. So we're, we're going through that process right now. And then, man, there was some cool stuff I wanted to talk about today too, about um, filling out PDFs using PDF TK. Yeah. So this is like really interesting. Maybe we could talk about. We'll this have to talk time. about it next time because we've got to do some like PDF filling out as well. Some of our some of yeah. our lenders allow us to generate the PDF from scratch, and that's easy because we just use mm-hmm. you know whatever yep. we use to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Spassy browser shot right. or whatever. Yeah. But for some lenders, they're like, no, no, this is our PDF that you need to yeah, fill you gotta out. Use this format. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So exactly. yeah, PDF TK is something I'll have to have to look into. It's cool because what it does is it basically it gives so you have the PDF. And then you have an FDF file, which is a form data file. And so then essentially what it does is it'll take that form data file that you create and then it will merge it in with the PDF, right? So it just basically says, create this form and then give me the PDF and then tell me to merge the two. Mm -hmm. And it'll take any values that are in that FDF file and merge them into that form, that PDF, and it'll fill in all those fields, which is really cool. And it'll also do like, you can say to PDFTK, you can say, hey, here's the PDF. I want you to dump all the data fields that you find in this to a text file. You know, just mm-hmm. you, you know. So you can basically reverse engineer. Type it in or error. Yeah. So you can basically say, here's the PDF that's a fillable form. Give me all the field names that I need. And so it'll pop them out for you. And then you could say, okay, great. Those are the values that I need to fill in. And then you just map them to data. You know, so what you'd have to do is you're going to have to create a process that will say, here's our data, map it to an FDF file, and then tell PDFTK to merge the two. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't looked super far. I'm guessing there's probably a layer of a library for this. I looked to see if Spassi had one. Do they do not? But PDFTK can also do like splitting, merging, watermark, all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, nice. And so this it's really, really interesting. So we'll have to mess with this a little yeah. bit. I think that we're going to use this as well. We have the same exact problem where it's like we have these state forms that we have to fill in and they won't accept anything but their form. Mm-hmm. So you're stuck. Yeah. You're a little bit stuck. At the moment, um, at the moment we're using so. WKHTML to PDF and um, I think Barry van der Heuvel's Snappy library. And we're just using that to, to generate PDFs. But if, so I don't know if I haven't looked into it, whether or not that can actually do the, the writing like of 
like merging the PDF in the same way that PDFTK does, but it's certainly worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So really cool stuff. So we'll have to talk about that next, next time. time. Next time. This was episode 135, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Episode 135 show notes will be at northmeetsouth.audio slash 135. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett and Michael Dorinda and rate us up in your podcast. Your choice would be amazing. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.